Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Titus chapter 1. Last week we began a series through the book of Titus. Um, I'll just uh, say this. I think I've said it before, but my... uh, my conviction about preaching is that it should be um, expositional preaching through books of the Bible. Um, it would be easy for me to just get up and just say whatever's on my mind. And some people think that's what you should do. Um, but uh, I find myself longing for uh, something to tether me to the Bible and to God's agenda rather than just following whatever just happens to be on my mind at the time. How do I know if that's the Spirit leading me or if it's just my flesh? And so I try to go through books of the Bible. We began Titus last week. Uh, We began with verses 1 through 4. We'll we'll, uh, we'll look at 5 through 9 tonight. Titus is one of the pastoral epistles. Um, the pastoral epistles are First um, Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. They are um, letters to Titus and Timothy, uh, these young pastors, younger pastors. And uh, Titus is giving instru- or Paul is giving instruction to Titus in this book about how he is to go about. His work as a pastor. And so you might ask, if this is written to a pastor trying to explain what his duties are, then why does everyone need to hear it? Why does the whole congregation need to hear this instruction? Well, I believe all of God's Word is for all of believers. It is, um, It is for our instruction and it is to help us to grow, to be mature. And specifically, we need to hear a text like this tonight, which is a text that talks about qualifications for pastors. We have not yet constituted as a church and we don't yet have a membership, but hopefully one day we will soon. And when we do have a membership, we'll need to, the congregation will need to know how to judge me, how to uh, evaluate whether I'm doing what God has called. And, uh, you know, everybody has their own ideas of what they think a pastor should be. A pastor should just preach the best sermons. Uh, A pastor should visit everybody. Uh, A pastor should do all these kinds of things. Let's look at what the the Bible says the qualifications are for pastors. Uh, Looking at uh, Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, nor a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
He must hold firm to the trustworthy word that as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. Lord, that we are not uh, here to merely make guesses about what your will is, but you have revealed your will to us in the Bible. Father, we pray that uh, you would give us ears to hear your word and hearts that are ready to receive it. And Father, I pray that you would be with me a weak and frail sinner. Father, help me uh, to preach your word and to live up to what this text calls every pastor to. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul had uh, traveled with Titus, apparently. Uh, He had traveled with Titus and he left him in Crete. Now Paul, we know on his missionary journeys uh, that he he would go from place to place. um, And often he would plant a church and he would move on. People would hear the gospel, they would get saved, and and therefore there was a church there, but he didn't stick around long enough to teach them about all the things that a church needed. And here, when Paul was in Crete, uh, he moved on, he went to another location, and he left Titus here in Crete to teach them, uh, to put put into order what remained, what It isn't enough for a church to just go into a community and start preaching the gospel so that believers then come into being. Um, They have to, in order to have a church, a functioning church, we have to teach all of Scripture. We have to teach and disciple people to teach them everything that Jesus commanded, as the Great Commission says. Paul didn't have time to do that, but he left Titus to do this. He was to put into order what remained. God wanted the church there at Crete to be orderly. It isn't to be something that is uh, just everybody for themselves, everybody just do whatever you feel like is best, but it was to be a place of order. And one of the things that Paul tells Titus here is he was to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now that word elder isn't the term that we're used to using in Baptist life. Most of the time we use the word pastor, but it's the same thing. Uh, pastor is a, a term that we see and that we regu- regularly use. Overseer is another term. In the King James, I believe it translates it bishop. Um, but that's another interchangeable term. An elder. Pastor, elder, and overseer. They're all interchangeable terms. Uh, They all are talking about the same office, the office of a pastor. Well, uh, Paul told Titus that he was to uh, put what remained into order and to establish elders in every town as I directed you. He uses that term in the plural, um, a a plurality of elders. now, I, I may be controversial tonight. I don't know. I don't know what your background is, what, what kind of uh, thoughts you might already have about, um, about this kind of thing. Um, 
But it appears to me, from looking at this text, and as you look at the New Testament as a whole, whenever you see that term elders, it's almost always in the plural. Whenever you look throughout the New Testament, the places where you see that term elders, it's always in the plural. Uh, From that, I I take uh, that the New Testament pattern was that they would have multiple pastors in each church. Uh, that that, That it wouldn't be just one man that everything hung on his shoulders, but that the the community had elders that they would rise up from among them who would care for the spiritual care of the congregation. Now, I I know that this this might, and I don't know what everyone's background is, but this might throw up a red flag. Because oftentimes when we think of elders, we think of a Presbyterian form of church government. Um, the Presbyterians, they have elders, and, and they, are, they, they function very different than Baptist churches. Baptist churches are congregational. Uh, we, we believe in a congregational government where the authority is seated in the congregation as a whole. Um, the, the, there is not a, um, a connectionalism to where uh, each church is autonomous in Baptist life. That's part of being congregational. We, we, we don't have a, an authority structure where uh, each church... We don't have another higher um, church or denomination that we answer to. We, we affiliate together as, as churches in associations, in state associations, in conventions... But we don't have a hierarchical structure. Um, Presbyterianism, where they have elders, it's, it's a little bit different. Where they, they kind of have a connected uh, sense in which the denomination does have some authority over the church. And so I, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm uh, advocating that. Uh, that's, that's not what I'm advocating. Also, there's another error that I think many are falling into today. Uh, I, I believe the, the New Testament pattern was uh, to have multiple pastors in each church. Yet, within this context of congregational church government, um, some of my friends, people that I love dearly, people that I know, have left behind a congregational form of government in favor of what they was kind of a, an elder rule type of situation where um, the elders are the ones that hold authority um, and, and they may have different ways of, of working out how the congregation um, relates to the elders. What I believe the Bible teaches, what I, the, a view of uh, church government that, that I, I believe in is, is a congregational authority where the congregation is the highest authority that we, that we answer to on a local level. Uh, outside of the Bible. The Bible is the authority. Jesus Christ is the authority. But humanly speaking, the congregation is the seat of authority for the local church. Within that, though, uh, I, I, I see here that Paul was, he was directing Titus to, to appoint elders in every location. Now, what does that mean? He was telling Titus to appoint elders. Uh, uh, my friends who kind of leave behind the congregational thing, they, uh, maybe they've gotten hurt in a church where they've, they've uh, uh, been mistreated or something like that, 
And so they leave behind the congregational system. They would say that's not the reason why, but I, I have my, my wonders. Uh, they might point to this and say, well, see, Titus was to appoint the elders. But it also then says, the way I directed you, doesn't it? As I directed you. I don't think it spells out the way that that was done. And if we look at the way the first deacons were chosen, in Acts chapter 6, it was select seven men from among yourselves. The congregation selected their own leaders. It wasn't that the apostle then appointed certain people that would be the, the leaders within the congregation, but the, the people from among themselves it, uh, selected seven men to be elders. I'm getting into the weeds a little bit here. <laughs> I feel like I may be talking about things that maybe you've never thought about before. I don't know. But these are actually things that I care very deeply about. My, um, the uh, Master of Theology that I did at South- Southwestern Seminary was on ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. And so um, uh, when planting a church, I've been reading some books about church planting, and uh, they say be very clear about your ecclesiology as you go in, because whatever you put in at the beginning, that's what it's going to say. So I want to be clear in my teaching about ecclesiology. Um, and I, I think that's why this is important that, uh, that I talk about this. Now, let's, let's look here. The bulk of this text is about what the qualifications for elders are. Whether that's the pastor, uh, which I, I aspire to be. We haven't constituted as a church yet. But I aspire to be a pastor here. Or whether it be some lay elder that works alongside me that I share responsibility with. What are the qualifications for elders? First of all, it says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and whose children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Let's break this down a little bit at a time. First of all, Above reproach. Not someone who is open to a charge or accusation against his character. It it does not mean sinless. Uh, Otherwise, no one would be qualified. Uh, We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Even believers, they still have things that uh, we, we sin about. And if we say that we have no sin, we make God a liar. But... It does call for a man who wants to be a pastor to be above reproach, uh, to, to be not, not someone who is going to be accused of, of anything, of any obvious violation in, in that man's life. Um, now, false accusations come, uh, but it needs to be that a, a pastor, someone who who's, aspires to be a pastor or an elder in a church, they need to be of the kind of character that uh, these kinds of accusations just don't stick. Next, it says, the husband of one wife. Now, there have been different views throughout the ages about what that means. Um, Some have suggested that maybe this is talking about polygamy, uh, that... uh, uh, you know, in, in an ancient culture that maybe they would have more than one wife. We even see that within the Bible, like Abraham had multiple wives. Is this what this was talking about? Um, 
I am not of the opinion that that's what this was talking about. Uh, I don't think that that would have been the issue in the day. The commentary that I read uh, in preparation said that uh, it, for it to be about polygamy back then would almost be like saying that today that one of the qualifications for being a pastor is he must not be a cannibal. Well, that's not really one of the things that we have a concern about today. Um, well, it wasn't really a concern for the people in that day that people would be polygamous. It just wasn't that widespread. So, another view would be that it disqualifies anybody who's ever been divorced. But I don't actually think that that's the view that we have to take here. Um, the, the, the text itself, it says in the Greek, literally, a one-woman man. I think what this is talking about is that um, a, 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 a pastor should be someone who it, it shows uh, a, a, um, a track record of faithfulness. Uh, that that uh, a pastor or an elder needs to be someone who you look at their life and you know this is a man who is devoted to one woman. Uh, the problems that you get whenever you deal with the, the whole, if a divorce can disqualify a person from being a pastor, you, you have questions like, you know, what if it happened before they were saved? Or what if you have biblical grounds? All of those kinds of things. They're just complications that bring this up. But, but I think, it, it's my opinion, uh, in, in, as I've studied it, no, be Bereans, be faithful Bereans who check the Bible out for yourself and, and, uh, um, and don't just take my word for it. But my view is that uh, a pastor should be someone who is a one-woman man who demonstrates a life of faithfulness in marriage. Next. And his children are believers. Now, does that mean... Someone who aspires to be a pastor has to wait until they have children? Can, can, a, can a man who doesn't have it, or maybe some, a, a, a couple who struggles from uh, infertility, can, can, can that couple, can that man be a pastor? Because they don't have children who are believers. Does, does it mean that whenever a, a pastor has his first child, he has to resign until the child is old enough to make a profession of faith. What about an adult child who strays from the faith? Uh, the, the pastor raises his children, raises them to walk in the admonition of the Lord, yet whenever they're older, they walk away from the faith and abandon it. Should that pastor step down? Well, there are some who, who felt very strongly that they, they, they wondered, they doubt, should I step down? Uh, I know at least one pastor who I respect very, very much who really struggled with whether or not he should resign whenever his son began to walk away from the faith. I think this is something that is in the judgment of the church. I, like I said before, I believe in congregational church government. Uh, the, the congregation looks at the man, judges his character, and I think the church should be able to tell from that, 
from looking at that man? Is this a man who, who some flaw in his character led his children to go the wrong way? Or was it just that that child went the, uh, went the wrong way and the parrot did everything that they were supposed to do? That's where we need the, the community's input, the, the church, the congregation as a whole, to judge a man and say, we, we trust that, that you did everything that you were supposed to do. You did raise your children the best you knew how. Or, you know, if it's some kind of flaw in character, you would think that it would come up before children got to a, a grown age. That uh, some flaw in character would have been obvious. And so a congregation needs to know their pastor, needs to spend time with their pastor so that they see their character in different situations. So to be above reproach, the husband of one wife, the children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. A pastor is not to be someone who uh, lives a wild life. Uh, living like the world. Uh, or insubordination. Uh, that's one that, uh, that I really... I thought a lot about as I prepared this week. Insubordination is not willing to, to submit to authority. Uh, a pastor is under authority. He wields authority, and he needs to know how to wield authority appropriately, but he's also under authority. The pastor has an authority, because we look down at verse 9, and it says, a pastor must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. So a pastor does have some kind of authority. Yet, he is also under authority, And I I believe it is the congregation's job to hold a pastor accountable. To make sure that the pastor that they call and have as their leader is one who holds firm biblical sound doctrine. And one who lives a life that is in accordance with godliness. It would not be right for a man to think, well, who are they to judge me? God called me. And the only person I have to please is God. I don't think that's the right attitude. We, when we serve as a pastor, we are under the authority of the congregation. And they have a right to look into our lives and see and judge based on these criteria that we see in, first, in Titus chapter 1. Verse 7. I'm going a little bit longer tonight. (laughs) Verse 7, For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Again, he's, he's repeating that same thing that he said before. Blameless, above reproach. Not someone who is going to be open to the charge of any kind of accusation. He must not be quick tempered. Arrogant or quick tempered. A drunkard. Or violent or greedy for gain. Those are all qualities that would be, we wouldn't want in a pastor. And someone who's arrogant, who, who, uh, who thinks he doesn't have to answer to anyone, who, who uh, thinks that he's better than other people, 
or someone who's quick-tempered, easily angered whenever there's disagreement and friction. Is this someone who's going to fly off the handle? Or is this someone who's going to learn to hold his tongue and love through disagreement? A drunkard. Of course, that's not just talking about alcohol, but anything, I think, that, uh, that would affect our mental faculties, whether it's alcohol or any other kind of drug or substance. Violent. Not violent or greedy. And when it talks about violence, uh, may not just be talking about a pastor who would hit people, but who would use the pulpit as a weapon who would lash out at people. That's one of the reasons why I believe in expository preaching through the Bible. You know, if, uh, if you just preach whatever is on your mind each week, it would be easy to just use the pulpit as a weapon. And when people, dis- dis- um, when people criticize you or things like that, you can lash out against people. Because that's what's on your mind and that's what's on your heart. But if you are systematically teaching through the Bible, that is a protection for the pastor to keep him from doing that kind of thing. Not violent, not greedy for gain, not be thinking about how he can pat his own pocket, but hospitable. A pastor should be somebody who opens their home. Opens their home, opens their heart, uh, is friendly with people, is generous should be someone who is hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, not someone who is given to uh, easily give in to their desires, but who has sex, uh, self-control, has self-control, and who um, restrains those the, his own flesh. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And then finally in verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. Someone that you would want as your pastor, someone that, uh, uh, in, in the way that you would judge me, Evaluate me. Am I someone who is holding firm to the Scripture? Without wavering. You know, sometimes it's uncomfortable whenever a pastor has to rebuke someone. But that is part of the job description, isn't it? A pastor, whenever he sees false teaching or someone who's fallen into sin, maybe, sometimes, the Bible calls a pastor to rebuke someone. It's not comfortable, especially when we're on the receiving end. But sometimes, that is what a pastor is called to do. Now, I get the sense, as as I've preached through this text, I've been in the weeds a little bit, and and I kind of feel like I've been preaching a job description. Where is Jesus in this text? Can, can, can we see where the savor of Christ is in this text? There's a couple of things that I noticed as I prepared. First of all, a pastor is to be someone 
who is not open to the charge of insubordination. You know what? Jesus was someone who submitted to His Father's will. Jesus was someone who... He... He was the very Son of God. He he could have done whatever He wanted to in this world. Yet He lived a life of submission to His Father's will. And He went to the cross and submitted to the Father's plan. A pastor needs to be like Jesus. These qualities are all things that describe what Jesus' life was like. And you know what? No pastor can ever live up perfectly and be exactly as good as Jesus. We all fall short. We all, whether we're a pastor or whether we're some other kind of, of Christian leader, everybody in this room, we all fall short in one way or another. And so while we talk about these qualifications, we we sometimes can get this idea, I'll never never measure up. I I could never be that. We're talking about something that's high and lofty. But yet, we remember that Jesus lived a sinless life for us. That His perfect righteousness is given to us by faith when we trust in Him. Jesus is in this text. Every pastor needs to aspire to be like Jesus. But ultimately, we have to rely on our trust and faith in Jesus. Because we could never be everything that this is calling for perfectly. It isn't calling for perfection. But it is calling for us to live to a high standard. And ultimately, we all stand in need of grace at the foot of the cross. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.